Listener Production. Welcome to a Good Friday episode of The Briefing. It is Easter. A few ex-Christians hosting the podcast today. Jan? <laughs> yeah. I or did. still still are a Catholic? Um, I don't know. It depends what day it is. I suppose <laughs> on Good Friday, I'm going to say yes. And I was going to say happy Good Friday to all the Christians out there. But no, Good Friday is actually not a happy day at More all. More of a sombre affair. It's a sombre day. So, you know, I hope you're all having a sombre time marking today. Yeah, we're going to talk religion today. What was Easter like for you, like in a religious sense, was oh, it all huge. about religion? Oh, huge. Easter is the biggest day on the Christian calendar for sure. Certainly the Catholic calendar. My mum's Orthodox and my dad's Catholic, so I actually had two major Easters because often they wouldn't fall on the same day. But Easter was huge. We used to go to church Palm Sunday. We used to go to church Good Friday and we used to go to church Easter Sunday. So it's three times a week going to church, which is, you know, balling. Yeah, um, let's bring our producer in on this one, um, Dan Mullins. You grew up a Catholic. How, how big was Easter for you? Well, it's the end of Lent. So 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, of praying, starts with Ash Wednesday, finishes with Good Friday. But it's somber, as, as the word you used is perfect, because Good Friday is the day that Jesus died on the cross. And so, so What were you actually doing on, on the Fridays as a kid? Nothing, right? To, like- well, no, but we went to Stations of the Cross. So for those of you who don't understand, it's, it's the... St- 12 stages of the crucifixion and death of Christ. So Mm. you went to this ceremony in the church and it's very dire and very solemn and very depressing. But then then they clear the church out, the the, the monstrance is taken. So in all of its essence, God is gone from the church and you sort of go home and sit quietly and wait. God, I'm terrified. You're really not selling Catholicism here, Dad. But it is terrifying. (laughs) That's the whole idea. The whole idea is to frighten the life out of yeah, you. Yeah, he got nailed to a cross. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then and then on Sunday, Christ is risen and you can celebrate. And that's, of course, which the, day, the which... Easter egg is new life. Yeah, it exactly. It new life. And so Sunday, Christ is risen and you can celebrate. And that's the joy of Easter, but not Good Friday. No joy on Good Friday. Yeah, so I grew up in a, in a sort of a slightly strange part of the Pentecostal movement. And so... Easter was a big deal for us too, but it was more just a chance to get all the members from the different cities and towns together and we would go on a big camp to say Sawtell Caravan Park. Yeah. Something like that. But you're not a member of the Pentecostal no, Church anymore. No, I, I completely walked away. Okay. Well, you're probably the only one that walked away because it actually it's, it's, it's the only Christian denomination that has seen some growth in the last 10 years in Australia. So let me... Let me just paint a picture of how much of a decline Christianity in general has yeah. been in, right? So this is according to the Bureau of Stats. In 1966, 88% of the Australian population, nearly 90% mm. of Australia identified as being Christian, right? So 50 years later in 2016, that figure was down to just 52%, so just over half. That's a massive decline. The one Christian denomination bucking that trend is Pentecostalism, right? Now, according to the census, members of the Pentecostal church were at 260,000 in 2016. Stick with me with the numbers here. That's up more than 40,000 from 2006, right? So increased 40,000 people in 10 years. Might not seem like a lot. That was like 15%. Yeah, exactly. In terms of ratio, it's huge. But also you've got to remember all these other denominations declining, so for Pentecostalism to be on the up and up, you know, that's significant. Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey for Pentecostalism. Um, the most prominent branch of the Pentecostal movement is Hillsong, mm. a massive brand, 
founded in Australia in 1983. Um, it's had massive success in America as well. It's pulled some big names, Justin Bieber. Yeah, the Kardashians, I think. Maybe. They, they at least checked it out. Yep. Um, a few of the LA Lakers, like Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah. It, it's also had a fair few scandals. I think the biggest one being Brian Houston's father, Frank, sexually abusing children during the course of his ministry in Australia and New Zealand. That was huge. Yeah, um, so that's Brian Houston's the founder. That was his father. Yeah, his father, Frank, died in 2004 there. Yeah, and then there's been a, a really interesting scandal just from November. So they had this celebrity pastor in America called Carl Lentz. He's the one who was credited with bringing Justin Bieber to the church you check out his his stuff online and he's hanging out with celebrities all the time. He was the one that brought lots of them to Hillsong in LA. Um, he was sacked for moral failures and then it came out that he'd had an affair and then it came out that he'd had several affairs mm. and then a tape was leaked where Brian Houston, the founder, singled him out for more than just the affairs. Um, also, general narcissistic behaviour, manipulating, mistreating people and constantly lying. Well, I mean, this has just recently happened. It doesn't seem to be turning anyone away from the church at this point. But is Pentecostalism in general at a bit of a turning point here in Australia? And can its most well-known church keep helping it buck the trend and continue growing? Yeah, let's find out with Professor Andrew Singleton. Um, he's a professor of sociology at Deakin Uni. Came across him in research for my book. He's a very interesting guy. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. My is, pleasure. Is the Pentecostal movement still growing and is it still the only part of Christianity that's really growing? It's kind of just maintaining its current level in the population. So its major kind of phase of growth was through the 1970s, 80s and 1990s. And it's sort of plateaued in the past 20 years. So it stayed at around the same proportion of the population. Is it the only Christian group that's growing? Um, some of the smaller groups like the um, Church of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons, they're kind of uh, improving their proportion of the population, but for the most part, almost all Christian groups are kind of experiencing broad decline. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty interesting feat for the Pentecostal church to kind of just, you know, just maintain its numbers given that other major Christian denominations are in pretty significant decline. Why and how do you think they've managed to do that? Well, I mean, often the typical answer is they talk about the things about their church, that it's appealing to non-church people, it's bringing those people in, it's bringing people from the traditional mainline denominations. But if you look much more carefully at the data that we've got about Pentecostals, you can see that the main source of growth for them has been migrants. So since about the mid-1990s, the proportion of Pentecostals who have been born overseas has really increased. So now almost 40% of Pentecostals are born overseas. And so what it means is that they've been able to maintain their so-called market share because people have migrated. And those people are migrating from countries where they were already Pentecostals uh, mm. at their place of origin. Ah, so they're not new converts. No, there's very few new converts in Christianity. I mean, conversions are, you know, it's a very complicated process, but the, the, the most likely reason that you're religious in the first place is because you were raised religious, your family's religious, your mm. community's religious. So it's almost impossible to, without any of that, to kind of turn to faith. And so the, um, the main source of Pentecostal growth, like I said, is people emigrating from countries that are already strong in Pentecostalism, whether that's sub-Saharan Africa, Oceania or Latin America. Okay, now excuse my ignorance here, but... Sure. What What is Pentecostalism? Like to someone who's never heard about it at all, how would you describe it? 
So Pentecostalism is a movement in Christianity that is really prioritizes what they call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that they think that the Holy Spirit kind of is an active part of the Christian believer's life. And so that gives them a very energetic faith. And they also think that the Holy Spirit can kind of enter the body and uh, produce particular kind of religious manifestations. And so it can cause people to speak in tongues or fall over and shake. And also just to kind of experience the the joy of God or Jesus in their lives. Sound appealing, Jan? Well, look, I'm a Catholic, so, you know, none of it sounds appealing to me, frankly, but no one should take my advice on anything. Let me just put a disclaimer out there. Um, It's interesting, Andrew. So, yeah, you're talking about the growth story. It's largely from people moving overseas, but its cultural influence seems to have grown. Do you you think that's true? Yeah, I do think it's true. I think that one of the lessons that was learnt from American politics was that uh, religious people became much more active in politics in the 1970s and they realised that their agenda could be pursued politically. And Pentecostals in Australia have kind of followed that. And so they've become much more politically active. They've become politically active in political parties, particularly the Liberal Party. And in doing that, they've seeked to influence public policy around the things that matter to them, which is, in some cases, it's opposition to um, uh, marriage equality, it's opposition to abortion rights, uh, and things like that. How much would you attribute the rise of Pentecostalism? I mean, namely, I think the the biggest example is the Hillsong Church. How much would you attribute their rise to marketing or to publicity or to their ability to build a strong, powerful brand with good music, young people, general good vibes? Yeah, I mean, obviously the key to Hillsong is their music, which they do with, you know, the highest production standards, high quality songwriting and outstanding performance. Because not to brag on Catholics, like Hillsong (laughs) music, much better than Catholic hymns. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah, and you go to a Pentecostal service in Hillsong in particular, it's dynamics like a rock concert. There's young people. You won't see young people at your average Anglican or Catholic church, let alone a uniting church. So it feels vibrant, dynamic, and I think that appeals enormously. You also got to consider their appeal. It's not across the whole of society. And so Pentecostal churches tend to be in the outer suburbs amongst people who are kind of um, sort of so-called aspirational uh, and, and it sort of fits in with that kind of lifestyle. I mean, the only Pentecostal churches in the inner city tend to service kind of overseas student populations. They're not setting up in the leafy inner suburbs uh, where you find your traditional Anglican church, for example. Mm. Yeah, you sort of tied it to politics before and obviously um, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is a Pentecostal. He goes to the Horizon Church in the Sutherland Shire. Judging by, I guess, his track record of the last few years, how much would you say his, his faith is influencing his his politics? Well, it's been evident in some ways that he was uh, an opponent of marriage equality. And I think you can often see his struggle where the broader sort of social trends point to things that are progressive and he himself is not necessarily comfortable with that or seemingly not comfortable with that. And I think that does place him in a really interesting and unusual position where at at times his faith is at odds with uh, the broader kind of consensus. But there's a lot within the Liberal Party who are kind of sympathetic to Pentecostal kind of beliefs and values. Where do you sort of see it going? Do you see it 
growing in the next 10, 20, 50 years or do you sort of just see it maintaining its numbers here in Australia? No, I definitely don't see it growing and I don't even see its numbers maintaining. So, I mean, all Christian traditions are kind of in decline and and the longer that you stay in Australia, the more likely you are to kind of come under sort of secular influence. So, you know, that generation of Pentecostal migrants that we've seen in the past two or three decades, they have children and it's much harder to hold those children to the Pentecostal tradition because there's so many distractions, so much more to do than just kind of church life. And so I, I can't see them being protected from that broader social trend. I mean, they'll always be the kind of strongest and most enthusiastic branch of Christianity in Australia. And despite what they say, I don't think that necessarily going to get any larger. They're going to shrink. Wow. But what if they keep making banging tunes? Not enough. <laughs> it's not enough to bring people in. It's, you know, like I said, in order to bring to the get boys and girls to the yard for a prayer. Yeah. Yeah, to get people to stay at church, it's kind of like a whole community effort. And and Pentecostals do, you know, people cycle through you know, there's enormous churches. It's often hard to make contact, hard to stay involved, hard to um, find a community. So if you don't get any of that stuff, you will actually just head straight out the door. And they do churn through people. That's just a fact. Let's talk about this Carl Lentz saga in the US. So he's this celebrity pastor. There's photos of him hanging out with loads of NBA players, the Kardashians. He's credited with bringing Justin Bieber to the church. He's had this massive fall from grace because he cheated on his wife. But then, as we we mentioned earlier, that Brian Houston was saying it was much worse than that. He was basically a, a narcissist and a liar. What what happened there? And and who is this guy? And how much of a problem has this been for the church? He's one of among many kind of Pentecostal preachers to have a fall. And you can just Google names like uh, uh, Frank Jim, Houston. Uh, <laughs> for example, but there are many American pastors. And it's because this is an emphasis on personalities about people being dynamic preachers and so on and that, mm. uh, and they get fame and that can contribute to a kind of a boost of their ego. And yet there's, you know, with all of that, a lot of temptations and, and I think people just fall prey to that. So it's it's because it prioritises individuals and lords individuals, they're always going to be susceptible to a fall. And do you think that that'll damage the credibility of the church and maybe um, draw people away? I think that they're pretty good at managing scandals because it's it's not uncommon and you see the way that Brian Houston has managed that. He's done it professionally and, and he's um, kind of recognised that no individual is more important than the church. So I, d- I don't think it's necessarily going to damage the brand. And also these are a community that really believe in redemption and forgiveness. And so if they talk about those things, there's much more acceptance of wrongdoing than you might find in another context. You reckon that Brian Houston's managed it pretty well and he's got some experience in this department, but is Carl Lentz looking at starting his own church? Because that often happens when people are forced out. Yeah, well, the thing about starting a Pentecostal church is that there's no kind of impediment to doing that. If you want to start an Anglican church or a Catholic church, you've got to get permission from the bishops and you've got to find a building and get uh, all that stuff kind of sorted out. Whereas if you want to start a Pentecostal church, all you need is a hall, some musicians and someone to get up and start preaching and promote yourself on Facebook. And that's how these Pentecostal churches grow and expand. And so if he wanted to, he could get up and preach a message of redemption and forgiveness and he will find followers. 
Andrew, what what do you think about the the really long term future of Christianity? I mean, Pentecostals being the the only one holding the flag and and growing in in recent decades. But you've said just on this podcast that it's basically peaked. And and we were talking earlier about how to a lot of people, a lot of elements of Christianity just don't make sense at all. And maybe it should have ended in the Middle Ages and sort of really died with the Enlightenment. Um, where do you see it going? <laughs> where are we going to be in fifty or hundred years? Will it will it be an artifact? In some ways, it'll be an artifact. Like the big boom time for Christianity in Australia was like the 1950s and early 1960s. And since that time, society's become much more complex. You know, we've become much wealthier, more educated, more women in the workforce. And religion doesn't have its kind of cosy place. It'll always have followers, but I think people are still interested in some of the things that religion points to, like it points to questions of meaning and well-being mm. and, and existence. And because of that, you won't see this kind of wholesale turn to atheism. And there's just been for 50 or 60 years this bubbling interest in well-being, spirituality, wellness, and that's kind of done something very much on your individual terms. You don't need to do it in the context of a church congregation. But I think that that's a kind of vibrant current in our society that won't go away because people still want to find some meaning beyond just material stuff. Yeah. And secular life can leave people feeling empty handed as well. Like they don't have any simple answers about why we're here or, or how we should live a meaningful life. So that's why people still turn to Christianity and it also offers a, a sense of community. And while we point to the overall trend being downwards in terms of membership, it has had these sort of like small waves of revival on the way down and Pentecostalism's like a, a very interesting example of that. Do you think as as people still need a sense of meaning and a and a structure for society that there might be other waves like Pentecostalism that bring people back in the future and sort of keep it alive to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always sort of social movements with a spiritual current that appeal to people. And I do think you see that even in the present day, this kind of anxiety around things like vaccination and and sort of resisting um, the kind of political mainstream. And part of that, some of those people are motivated by spiritual things. So there's some new ages and alternative spiritual people who are really kind of resisting things like COVID vaccination because they're concerned about it. And there's a sort of spiritual element to that. So Yeah, it's called yeah, conspiritualism. Pastor Pete Spirituality. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Pastor Pete, exactly. Yep. <laughs> and it's got their entire beliefs and and uh, you know, they believe they're in possession of a higher knowledge and a kind of greater truth and that's what religion preaches as well that there is an alternative to the secular mainstream way and it's it's this kind of alternative spirituality. That was Professor Andrew Singleton and that's a pretty big call he made there, Jan, that he thinks Pentecostalism in Australia has essentially peaked. Mm. Well, the only aspect of it that seems to be adding growth to it, which significantly was the migrant population. Who are not new converts. Who are not new converts, exactly. And then when you think about that in the the bigger long-term story of Christianity that, you know, it's been slowly kind of falling away over the last 50 years, the only part of it that's been growing is Pentecostalism and that's now kind of plateauing potentially peaked I guess a very interesting point in the in the bigger story of Christianity in the meantime for all you Christians out there celebrating or marking um, Good Friday if you're still listening after all that if you're still listening after all of that I hope it's a good one we're waiting for Easter Sunday party time 
In between then, though, Jamila is back tomorrow with the weekend briefing. Jam, who is on the show? Tomorrow I'll be chatting with Rosie Waterland. You might know her. She became famous for writing recaps of The Bachelor. She's since written two best-selling books and she's the host of the Just The Gist podcast. She's also touring a stand-up show at the moment and we sat down to talk about comedy. We talked about her really difficult and traumatic childhood and we talked about what makes good TV. All right, that sounds great. Uh, Make sure you tune in for The Weekend Briefing and we'll catch you Monday for a special episode with a real French spy. Listener.